0: For the first installment of the movie house series yeah you are so exciting it's gonna be a great day I can already feel that the crowd participation is real high and feeling good about it listen the way I see it is it's always a good experience anytime you can combine both Jesus and junk food into a service come on somebody isn't that good I love it and here's the thing I want you to know be encouraged, chomp, chomp, chomp away. It won't bother me one bit. I mean, I figure if Jesus can preach the word of God to an audience that's chomping on fish, then surely I can do the same to an audience who's chomping on Swedish fish, if you know what I mean. In the spirit of Mary Poppins, would you turn to somebody and just say to them, supercalifragilistic it's so nice to see you. <laughs> there you go. I thought you guys would do it. 9.30 service, just might as well take their finger and dribbled up and down their lips. They don't know what to do. But you guys are the sleeping in, brunch eating, rowdy 11 o'clock crowd, is that right? <laughs> Whew, good, but don't get too carried away because this sermon will go an hour and 15 minutes. You get too excited, so calm down everybody. The, feature we, uh, the clip we just saw featured one of the more interesting and memorable musical numbers from the movie. And the title of the song that we saw is the cover is not the book, and that's part of the, what's called the chorus line, and it goes like this. The cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. You are paying attention. Now, that's a phrase we hear a lot, and maybe you've heard it phrase it a different, different way. That is, don't judge a book by its cover. Everybody's heard that. That's what we teach elementary kids, especially when we're trying to help them understand, to get to know someone's character and their decision-making patterns before you draw a conclusion about who they are as a person, but when it comes to books themselves, it's really hard to apply that. It's easier said than done, especially when the book that we're judging is this one. I mean, the cover's kind of plain and simple, not much to it. It's 66 books within one book. The first portion is about 600,000 words. The second portion, 180,000 words. It's a lot of ground to cover. It's kind of intimidating to tackle it. Am I right? So why crack it open? I mean, we kinda get it. Why why should we open it up and actually take a look at it for ourselves when it's already been covered in so many ways by so many people? I mean, preachers and teachers, they have covered this material for nearly 2,000 years. Millions upon millions of sermons have been preached from it. Thousands upon thousands of songs have extrapolated lyrics from it. Sold over five billion copies worldwide translated into over 700 languages, thousands of languages if you include smaller excerpts that have been translated. And thanks to Google, we have access to all this information. Plus, at this point in time, we kinda get it. We understand generally the themes of the Bible and we're familiar with most of its stories. And even if you're new to church, maybe you're not a Christian, you still probably have some presuppositions about the Bible. I mean, from the foundation of our, our country, scripture has been subtly and sometimes obviously woven into the fabric of, of our nation. So you, you can't live in this country without having some sort of exposure to scripture. So we have these presuppositions about what it is, what it is not. And maybe you've already concluded as to whether or not you will even contemplate the idea of opening it up and taking a look. But if we're being really honest with ourselves, the biggest barrier to opening it up and taking a look is that we have this perceived notion that it's a hard read. Anybody? It's hard. One of us. Thank you, sir. Very honest of you. We have this, this perception that it's a hard read, and I totally understand why. I mean, it's complicated, esoteric to understand it. You need a cleric. It's almost like you need some sort of interpreter to help you understand what you're reading. Hooked on phonics worked for me. To read the Bible, I need a seminary degree. It's hard. The text seems archaic and, and old. I mean, it's language that we don't typically use. Henceforth. Thou shalt bring thine offering. I mean, it's like to read the Bible, you have to have an English accent (laughs) and have like a natural lisp to pronounce the words correctly. Or maybe it's that we have concluded it has zero relevance to our lives. There's nothing about this that I can take away and actually apply into 2019. This was written for an audience in a time gone by, and it was for that audience and that audience alone. Zero relevance. It is antiquated, outdated, bound to leave you frustrated. (laughs) Or so we think. If that's you, if you've ever had that thought, if you hold that position now, I totally get it. It makes sense to me. I understand. I've been there. From time to time, I have to battle that too. But if I were to borrow a line from Mary Poppins, she says of herself, I'm practically perfect in every way. So is the Bible. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's inspired. And whether you've read it from cover to cover or you've heard it covered countless times, every time you open it up, there is new revelation, new application for your life because it's the inspired active, living word of God. But that's not the approach I'm going to take today. I mean, we could take a theological approach and talk about doctrine and and discuss how it's perfect and the canonization of scripture and so forth, but that would just bore you. That's for another time, perhaps. I don't want to convince you or even to convey to you that it's practically perfect, although we believe that. I want you to know that it's perfectly practical. Raise your hand if you've been to Bucky's. Pretty much everybody. It's that gas station down the street, or should I say the amusement park down the street? On the outside, it looks like a gas station, a big one. But once you go inside and you take a look for yourself, you see all kinds of wonders your eyes have never seen before. Let's take the restrooms, for example. Immaculate. Incredible. I mean, it's the cleanest water closet on planet Earth. You could host a rehearsal dinner in there, and no one would fault you for it. It's amazing. Incredible place. After using the restroom, you you can't help yourself but to look around. So what do you? Next thing you know, you got a pound of beef jerky under your arm. Can't pass up that fudge. Kids hold the fudge. Don't drop the fudge or you are grounded for a lifetime. Don't drop that fudge. And then you have to get some beaver nuggets. What are they? I don't know, but you got to have some. <laughs> and as you head out to your house, what do you know? You're wearing a shirt with a beaver on it. <laughs> Not too far behind you are some of the employees that are toting around that massage chair you also picked up at Bucky's. Who'd have known? That's amazing. It's a gas station on the outside, but on the inside, it opens up your life to a whole set of wonders you never knew existed, and they're practical in every single way. Going into Bucky's is like going into the Bible. The cover's not the book. Once you open it up, you will discover some practical things that you may or may not have known existed. How to lead your family how to cultivate healthy, life-giving relationships, how to run your business, how to manage your finances, how to raise your children, how to govern a nation. Like it is in there. It's not only practically perfect, Mary Poppins, it's perfectly practical. One of the most practical verses in scripture, Psalm 119, verse 105. Maybe you've heard it before. Here's how it reads. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet. And it's a light for my path. How many of you have a flashlight on you? You got a flashlight, go ahead and turn it on. Hold it up in the air. How many flashlights we got in here? I see one first flashlight over there. Okay, you win $0, well done. Okay, any other flashlights, hold them really high. Look at all these, look at all these flashlights. Wow, put them down quick. Tech team back there, they're dreaming and scheme. They're like, quick, shut down the lights and get a disco up in here. No, sir, no, sir. Now, if I had asked you that question 12 years ago, okay, everybody, whoever has a flashlight, go ahead and take it out right now and hold it up in the air. You'd all looked around like I'm an idiot. A flashlight? 12 years ago, the only people that carried flashlights on them were uniformed police officers and nerds. Well, see my flashlight? But thanks, thanks. To the light feature on your phone we have access to light all the time which is so helpful and practical like when my wife asked me to get something out of her purse no problem flip on that little light feature on my phone and I'll go look in that dark abyss I'll find whatever I need to find now without the flashlight pfft, I'm toast there could be a toddler in there and I wouldn't be able to find him As often as we use the light feature on our phones, friends, we should even more so use the light feature that's built in to the Word of God. Why? Because God's Word illuminates the choices that we should make and takes us down the path that we should take. Every single day, we are confronted with a new set of challenges to face and a new series of choices to make. Should I take this job, should I not take this job? Should I put my house on the market or should I wait? Should I give him my number? Should I call the police because I gave him my number? I'm a little nervous about that one. Should I get married, should I not get married? Should I have kids? Should I send the kids I do have to military school? Should I get a cat or a dog? Actually, that one's really easy, let's sell this right now. Cat or dog, on the count of three. One, two, three, dog, exactly, nobody likes cats. They're lazy, they're selfish, tear up your stuff, but there's no cats mentioned in the Bible, only dogs. (laughs) I'm just kidding, cat people. I mean, I see some angry. You can't see faces I see. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. We love dogs too. I'm just sorry. I mean cats. (laughs) We have all kinds of choices that we are faced with and challenges that we are faced with, and here's the reality, at least for me, maybe this is also for you. If I'm left to my own devices and my own decision-making power to carve out my own path and take my own steps, independent of counsel, both God's counsel through scripture and wise counsel through people who also dive into scripture, it is a disaster in the making. It's never worked out for me when I've tried to make decisions out of my own power, with my own will. Proverbs 14:12 says, a man, thinks he is right in his own mind, but in the end, it leads to death. Thanks be to God that I don't have to be left alone to make decisions in life. I'm talking about the big decisions, the big path-altering type decisions, and even the seemingly remedial, inconsequential decisions in my life, but here's the truth, every single choice matters because the path I take is the collection, the culmination of individual choices that I make. And the Lord God says that he wants to be a part of. He has interest in. He's invested in the smallest of steps. Even when I was born and started to learn to walk, God wanted to be a part of those steps. When I became a toddler and I began to waddle a little bit. Thankfully, I grew out of being a penguin. I became a human. God wants to be a part of those steps. When I became a teenager and I started to stride on the track, I was, I was an athlete. I know it doesn't look like with this feminine figure, but I was an athlete. And when I would, why are you laughing? When I would run on the track, I want to be a part of those steps. And whenever I started to stumble because I went a little bit wayward, God wanted to redirect my steps. And step by step, you lead me and I will one person knows Michael W. Smith, really? <laughs> God wants to be a part of our steps, every step of the way. When the psalmist says, his word is a lamp to guide my feet and lighten my path, he's saying that God wants to be a part of every choice that we make because those choices determine the path that we take. And God wants to take us down a path of abundance and life. That God wants us to walk in his good, pleasing and perfect will. And it's available to us how does this work? When we talk about God's will, that seems so ambiguous. We hear a lot of people throw out the word, you know, God's God's will that you do this, and it's God's will that you do that. Is it? There are three components to God's will. There's his sovereign will, there's his moral will, and there's his personal will. When you dive into scripture, you will discover God's sovereign will and his moral will, which will help you discern his personal will for your life. Here's what his sovereign will is. There are certain sequences of events and things that God alone is in control of, and nothing is going to undermine that plan. When God decided to create the entire world, he didn't turn to, to Gabriel and so, say, hey, Gabe, you wanna throw your input on this one? I'm a little bit confused about the order. Michael, come on, you got some good ideas, throw it in. No, he decided to create it as he, as he chose to, how he chose to, and then the duration that he chose to. Jesus' advent into the earth. There were prophecies about it, There were lots of forces, lots of militaries, lots of people that tried to undermine it. Herod tried to stop it. He was unsuccessful. It's God's sovereign will. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, God's sovereign will. Judgment, we're not getting out of that one. God's sovereign will. The second advent of Christ and the establishment of his eternal kingdom on the earth, God's sovereign will. We're catching on. Then there's God's moral will. That's like... The category of rights and wrongs, very clear. It's, it's easy to define in scripture. That's his moral will. He says, I will bless these sets of choices. I won't bless these sets of choices. Now the blood of my son, Jesus, is gonna cover all of that. So when you do it, you can still maintain your salvation in Christ Jesus, but this is not good for you. And sometimes we try to negotiate with God about his moral will. We try to bargain with him. I heard it one time, this, this lady, she, she said, Lord, please. I suppose that's my husband. Please let him be my husband. And God says, he's already married. I know. We'd make beautiful babies, though. So please, Lord. It's like you can't bargain with God in his moral will. It is what it is. And then there's God's personal will for your life. This is where it gets so exciting. We believe that God has a specific, unique plan for your life. And when you were born, he positioned you such that his personal will was in operation, but we get to decide whether or not we wanna stay down that path or whether or not we wanna reposition ourselves to fulfill our personal will, not his personal will for our lives. And I believe God's personal will for you is as specific as you will allow it to be by faith. I believe that because he wants to lead you step by step, he actually cares what grocery store you shop at. I believe he's interested in when you get a haircut and where you get a haircut. Why? Because maybe that hairdresser's down on her luck and she needs you to whisper some encouragement into her life. I believe God wants to be intimately involved in every decision that we make. And the Bible says that God not only knows how many hairs you have, he's numbered them. I literally pulled out a piece of hair. HD, still looks okay. One, 1,725,222. He's numbered them. As some of you, it's just much easier. One, really? God knows how many hairs are in there and he's numbered them, which means God wants to be intimately involved in every choice that you make so that you can stay on his path that leads to abundance. Step by step, he wants to lead you. So if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Navigation. God's word is so practical. It helps us navigate life so that way we can stay on that path of abundance so we can experience his good, pleasing, and perfect will in our lives. The more you read scripture, the more you will be familiar with his sovereign will, the more you have an opportunity to be aligned with his moral will, and then you'll be able to discern his personal will for your life. But scripture is a navigation tool. Number two, God's word is so practical. Not only does it help us navigate, it's used for nourishment. So number two, nutrition. God's word is nutritious. There's a passage in scripture in Matthew. It's the story just before Jesus begins his three-year ministry and the spirit of God leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, and during this duration of time, Jesus has not eaten a single thing, and I find it really interesting that right after the passage uh, notes that, it then says, "And Jesus was hungry." I bet, I know for me, if 40 minutes transpires between feedings wait, I'm not an infant, I'm a, I'm a grown-up. If 40 minutes transpires between when I've had meals. I mean, I'm famished. I'm hungry, and it's almost noon. Is anybody hungry in this place? Man, all this food talk. I got more coming, so sit tight. Jesus was hungry. He had not eaten, and the devil knew he was weak in that moment. Now I don't know if it's because Jesus looked emaciated. I don't know if it's because his posture was slouched and his pace was a bit sluggish. I don't know, but I know that the, the devil knew that Jesus was in a weak moment and that he was isolated by himself. Here's what it tells me. The devil is on the prowl and he's hoping you'll withdraw from your family. He's hoping that you'll isolate yourself at work. He's hoping that you'll be down on your luck and you'll close the windows and slam the doors and you won't pick up your phone. He's betting on it because that's when he's gonna pounce. And the more you do it, the weaker you become. The devil sees Jesus in this isolated, weak moment, at least physically weak. And here's what he says to Jesus hey, you're God, why don't you go ahead and feed yourself? You just go ahead and turn that stone into bread. And satisfy your physical hunger. Now, Jesus was weak bodily, but I know his soul was strong in that moment because I see how he responded to the devil in strength. And I'm gonna share with you what he says in just a moment, but I want you to know this. Jesus is teaching us that when the devil tries to tell us who we are not or who we are, that's in contradiction to who God says we are, there is no negotiating with the devil. You cannot exercise diplomacy with the devil. It won't work. Eve tried it. Remember the devil, hey, Eve, did God really say you can't eat from the tree? And Eve's like, well, I guess I'll reason with you. Wait, we did, did, did this. Way. We say we can't eat from the tree. And, all. You him? and guess what happened? Oh, just the collapse of the entire universe. You can't exercise diplomacy with the devil. He will win every time. You gotta do what Jesus is about to do. You gotta drop an atomic truth bomb right on the devil's face. The minute he fires a shot at you. Maybe it sounds like this. You are insignificant. That insecurity you have it is merited. You should feel that way about yourself. You are an amount to nothing. You are no good. Your parents abandoned you. God has abandoned you. Nothing is gonna come from your life that is worth noting. Nothing is going to come from your life that anybody will celebrate. And in that moment, there's no bargaining. There's no diplomacy. you got to drop an atomic truth bomb and you gotta say, I am my beloved and he is mine. Precious are his thoughts towards me. They are more in number than the individual grains of sand on the seashore. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. (laughs) Or the devil comes to you and says, hey, you may have thought you hid that from your boss. You may think you've hidden that from your wife, but I saw it and I'm gonna catalog that. And I'm gonna remind you about what you did before you go to sleep so you lack the sleep that you need to wake up and be a good daddy tomorrow and a good husband and a good good coworker. Oh, and by the way, I'm gonna remind you of it in the morning too. And then I'm gonna whisper it in your ear in the afternoon during your lunch break and again overnight, I'm gonna keep on whispering because the Bible's given me an awesome title. I'm called the accuser, so I'm gonna accuse away. In that moment, you get to say, no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Poof. you gotta do. Now, when Jesus drops his atomic truth bomb, I'm not certain that he was as animated as I just was. But it's powerful. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 4, verse 4. But Jesus told him, no. I like that. I don't like to think of my Jesus as his meek and mild, permed, hair savior, you know? I like to think of him as a mighty, strong, powerful God who can overcome all things, and he's also kind too. No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Target destroyed. In that single response, Jesus drew a distinction between two types of hunger and two types of food. He says your body is going to be hungry. And the only way you satisfy that hunger is by giving it physical food. But he also says your spirit, your soul is also going to be hungry. And the only way you can feed your soul is by the very word of God. So in a very true sense, God's word is real soul food. He brings this analogy and it really helps things come into focus. Think about this for a moment. How do you feel when you're hungry? At first it's a little uncomfortable, right? It goes through phases. At first you're a little uncomfortable, your stomach's turning just a bit, it's like, hee hee, little grumble, cute little grumble. Then it goes from being uncomfortable to what? Irritable. I'm getting hungry now. I'll tell you, somebody better get me a sandwich, quick! Uncomfortable, irritable, and then what? Intolerable. You can't tolerate it, and people for darn sure can't tolerate you either. You're hungry and you're angry, so you have just now become hangry. So you've been that way before. You know what I'm talking about. You get hangry. There's a commercial that really brings us into focus. It was released in 2010 on the Super Bowl, so one of my favorite commercials of all time, and it talks about who we, how we become the worst versions of ourselves when we're hangry. Take a look. Yeah. Mike, what is your deal, man? Oh, come on, man. You've been riding me all day. Mike, you're playing like Betty White out there. That's not what your girlfriend said. Baby! Use Snickers. Better? Better. How about that? That hurt. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. You're not you when you're hungry. See, when you're hangry, physically, You're irritable, you're uncomfortable, you're intolerable. When you are hungry spiritually, you are really the worst version of you. You've reduced yourself to someone that you don't even recognize anymore. And God certainly doesn't want you to see in the mirror when you look at yourself. That's what happens whenever we neglect our souls. We don't feed our souls with God's word. We become the worst possible versions of ourselves. How does this happen? How do we as Christians who've been set free been sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit, have God's presence living within us, how do we become so hangry? It's because we neglect feeding our souls. Here's how it works. Every now and again when I'm at my house, lounging around, I have this idea. I think I'm gonna go see what's in the refrigerator, see if there's something to eat. So I go over to the refrigerator, and here's what's funny about that. I know exactly what's in the refrigerator. I'm the one that put the food in there. But I wanna see. Just maybe there's some food in there. I open the refrigerator door and look around it. I'm to sift through a few things. Ah, uh, no. After about 20 seconds, I close the door. Shucks, no food. Sit down on the couch. Gonna work out real quick here, too. About 30 minutes pass by, what do I do? I get back up. I wonder if there's any food in the refrigerator. You done that? go right back to the exact same place I came from. And I, but this time I'm more determined. I'm even more meticulously looking through. I mean, I'm taking food containers out. I'm really sifting through them. There's gotta be a pork chop in here. it has gotta be. Nothing. I slam that door shut and I'm frustrated. I throw my hands up in the air. You know what I say? I say, there's no food in this house. But the reality is there's plenty of food in that house. It's just that I don't wanna eat it. A lot of times we're hungry. We're the worst version of ourselves because we have neglected to feed our souls. And sometimes we pick up the Bible and the phone rings We put it back down. Sometimes we walk right by it and then we throw our hands up in the air and we say, why do I feel this way? Why am I so depressed? Why do I hate the way I feel? Why do I hate myself at times? Why do I feel so weary and worried? Why do I feel so anxious? Why am I distant from my spouse? Why is it the things that used to get me excited don't excite me anymore? Why is it that I've withdrawn from people? Why is it that I don't have any hobbies anymore? Why is it I'm easily angered? Why am I not perturbed by and broken for the sufferings of people? Why, what happened? How did I get this way? There's no food in this house. No, it's just that I didn't wanna eat it. See, in that refrigerator, in the bottom drawer, there were some carrots. And like way back in the back, some leafy green vegetables. They're frozen on the edges. They're so tucked away back there. That may not be appetizing in the moment, but if I'd have just eaten it, it had done the job. It would have quenched my hunger and fed my body. Sometimes, friends, this is not appetizing to me, but it does the job. When I read it, I devour it, I contemplate it, I think about it, it feeds my soul, it quenches my hunger. It helps me be the best version of who God has called me to be. Every doctor, dietitian personal trainer on the planet there's a bunch of them in here right now they'll all tell you for your body to be in good condition you need two things good diet and exercise if you want your soul to be strong you to become whom god created you to be you need two things you need diet and you need exercise you got to read it and then you got to release it into somebody else's life but mary poppins got it wrong you don't need a spoonful of sugar you need a spoonful of scripture come on it's been a while since we refer back to Mary Poppins, hadn't it? She's still in the house. It's nutritious. Helps helpful for navigation. And last point, thirdly, notification. It's so practical, perfectly practical in every way. God's word now na- helps me navigate life. It's, nourishes my soul and it also notifies me when I need it. I don't know if you're like me, I'd assume you are. Your life is busy, it's complicated, complex. You've got hobbies you're managing, household, you got your work, you got your church, you got your friends, you got your kids' uh, commitments you gotta help follow through with. You gotta date your wife because you wanna make sure you maintain that relationship and it be strong. There's so many things. And I don't want to rely on my own mental faculties to remember all those details, so what do I do? I get my phone out and, and I'm not using Evernote. I've heard it's really great. I, maybe you do. I just use the calendar on my phone. I put all kinds of things in there. Like, get your oil changed. I do not want to forget that. Car burning up. Get the inspection done. It's coming up in July. Done. Sister's birthday's on Monday. Really, it's on, it's on Monday. I already put a note in my phone. To tell my sister happy birthday. Call your mom. Check on her. See how she's doing. Don't wait for her to call you. You call her. Go grocery shopping. Anniversaries. Oh, you know what? My anniversary's next week. Hold on a second. Put that up. Jessica Flowers, get Jessica to get a babysitter. No, no, I'll get the the babysitter. Safe. whoo, dodged a bullet there. Thank you guys, I needed that one, that was tough. We put all kinds of things. You know what we do too? Not only do we put those events in our calendar, we also set the notifications so that well before the event occurs, we are reminded to actually make sure to execute it. I don't wanna leave it up to my own faculties to deliver. I'll forget, there's too much going on up there. There's nothing more important to me, however, than God's word. And I don't want to rely on my own mental faculties to remember what he says. And I don't have to. Listen to this amazing verse that Jesus shared with his disciples. John 14, verse 26. Here's what he says about notifications. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and, wait for it, bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Here's how this works. When I read scripture, it's like I'm putting God's word into my mental calendar. That's my job, it's done. The Holy Spirit then promises he will send you a notification to bring it back to your memory in due time in an opportune moment to use it, which is often. I'll say it another way. For God to notify you with his word, you first have to take notice of what his word already says. I read it, he helps me recall it so I can use it. Very practical, here's an example. You're at work, something happens, it made you upset, you're just feeling a little bit grumbly in your spirit and you're wanting to just complain and whine to your coworkers and in that moment, boom, the Holy Spirit alerts you and says, remember that verse you read this morning? Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or complaining. I got it, Lord. Mm-hmm. Not gonna say it. You're a babe's chicken. You just, you've just conquered four pieces of fried chicken. You feel great about it. Fist pump, everybody. You're going for your fifth. Wait, should I eat that? I mean, five, is that a little much? I mean, maybe I shouldn't have that. Fifth one. Then the Holy Spirit sends you an alert. Boom! He says, Matthew 15, 11. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out. So Lord, as long as I keep the fifth one down, everything's fine, got it. Okay, maybe that's a stretch. I don't know. Here's the thing. You put God's word in your mind and he will bring it back to your memory when you need it. Scripture is a script for your life. But you gotta take a look at the script. And it's never been easier than before today. The Bible's translated in so many easy to read versions. ESV, NLT, NASB, NIRV, NIV, BLT. Sorry, I'm really hungry right now. <laughs> but you gotta open it up. And if you don't like to read, no problem. On the YouVersion app, download it. You can actually have a well-educated British man read it to you. It's so therapeutic. <laughs> but the cover is not the book. And listen to me, friends. Somebody also covering the book is still not the book. The cover's not the book. You gotta open it up and take a look. God, thank you for your word. It helps us navigate life to find abundance. Find your good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's nourishment, feeds our soul so we can not only survive but thrive, become the best version of who you desire for us to be. And it's also helpful for us to be notified, to continue to stay on that path that the psalmist talked about, the path that leads to an everlasting way. Lord, your word, and John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus You and your word are two sides of the same coin. To walk with you, we have to read your word. And reading your word is walking with you. Thank you, God. You've not left us alone to make choices independent of your counsel, but you've made it very clear for us to be able to have abundant life. Pray everyone today will be renewed in their desire, a new appetite to dive right in, to open up the book and take a look. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. Come join us for the next installment, of the Movie House series next weekend. Our prayer team's up front. If you have anything you would like to get off of your mind, we can pray with you. God bless you. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.